situation. He took a pinch in the back. He got beamed for crying out loud. We used heart attack. Managers on a major league baseball team don't make decisions. Credibility in this situation is worse than losing your job. Was it over with the Germans bomb Pearl Harbor? The castration of the major league baseball managers. We know it. Ask me about my winner. Going out, everybody. What's going on, everybody? Another edition of the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPLA.com. Um, St. Aloysius Church in Jackson, New Jersey. Two ways, one passion food truck located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. In a couple minutes, I'm going to take some su- suggestions. Anything that's on your mind in regards to what is a fair enough penalty for losing a bet. And I made two bets. You know, honest bets. Felt Russell Westbrook wasn't getting traded at the trading deadline. And I felt pretty strongly that there wasn't going to be enough momentum built for the 76ers and the Nets to swing a James Harden for Ben Simmons trade. And I lost on that. So I owe you something as the viewer, as the listener, as the patron of this podcast. And I'm trying to figure out what would be reasonable. Obviously, I don't want to do anything that's going to cause physical harm to me. I don't want to break my own leg. I don't want to uh, cut myself. But, you know, I think there's something that should be at least worthy to watch. Should I eat a cricket? Should I drink my own pee? Should I chug a uh, container of hot sauce or some sort of spicy mixture? These are all things that I think are up for discussion. But anything, like I said, you have any suggestions, throw it my way. You could comment on any feeds. You could also uh, follow me on Twitter if you want to send me a tweet at John underscore Pielli, email jrpelli, gmail.com. So first thing that I was thinking about talking about today, because I think this is this is something that I, ha, has bothered me. And you know it's one of my favorite takes to get into and discuss when it comes to, to baseball. It's the steroids era. The steroids era in baseball uh, we can't just go back in history and no matter how much you feel like you're here to save the game of baseball and preserve the virgin ears of the young people that are following baseball for the first time, it's hard to erase an entire generation of baseball that's just played. And I like to make a comparison between the steroids era and baseball pre-integration. Because if you're listening, you know, integration was one of the best things to happen to baseball, but should have never had to come to that. You know, you're talking about black players playing on the same field as white players, and it was not allowed. It was not acceptable. Baseball would not go for it. Yet that generation, when we're telling the history of baseball, it's part of baseball history. Not only that, it's part of the Baseball Hall of Fame. Cap Anson who single-handedly did what he could to keep blacks out of the game, refused to take the field if there was a black patron in the stands, let alone somebody that wanted to play baseball at the same field. We don't have a problem with Cap Anson being in baseball's Hall of Fame. Kennesaw Mountain Landis, literally as the commissioner, literally as the commissioner, said there will be a black player playing on the same field as white players over my dead body. And he meant that. He meant that. 
He didn't back down from it. He would not allow for any sort of integrated baseball while he was still alive. Obviously, he died. Happy Chandler became the commissioner, and all of a sudden you have a different history of baseball with integration. So we're okay when we're talking about telling the history of baseball, because that's what the Hall of Fame is. The Hall of Fame is a museum located in Cooperstown, New York, and it's there to tell the history of baseball. And if we don't want to tell parts of baseball history that we're ashamed of, then why is it okay to tell the history of segregated baseball before integration while racism was encouraged and accepted and at the same time try to ignore the fact that the steroids era did not exist. Now, I'm not one for pulling people out of the Baseball Hall of Fame. I'm not going to do that. I'm not in favor of that. I don't care if somebody ends up you know, later on in their life becoming a... Uh, a rapist or a killer or you know a, somebody that you know is convicted of a heinous crime and that's what why the Pete Rose discussion I think is always interesting too Pete Rose sure degenerate gambler Pete Rose probably not a good human being from an ethical standpoint did that have anything to do with his ability to hit a baseball the fact that he scored more than 2,000 runs. He had more hits than anybody in the history of baseball. Was part of more winning games than everybody, anybody to ever play in Major League Baseball history. And you see, you know, what, what is the correlation between gambling? Which, by the way, baseball is brought to you by FanDuel and DraftKings. Fox Sports app. Any, any betting app that you want, baseball is going to do everything they can to promote and encourage. Can Pete Pete Rose use those apps? Can he bet on baseball now? Because you can bet on baseball if you want. I'm sure there's Major League Baseball players that are active that are betting on baseball. Now, if there's proof that a player was betting for or against their own team, if you could find and trace that, I'm sure that player would be up to the same uh, subjection that Pete Rose was when he was banned for life. But I look back at it and I say, you know, baseball's gone in a direction like all sports. Hey, go out of your way. Bet. It's okay. There's no problem with betting on sports. It's encouraged. It's what they want. Hey, bet responsibly. Don't bet your rent or mortgage payment. Don't bet your children's tuition for college. Bet responsibly, but please bet because it's encouraged. Yet P. Rose, like I said, you know, there's a lot of people that may not want Pete Rose associated with baseball, and this might bother them. The thought that Pete Rose could get in, and maybe, I don't know, maybe the Reds hire him. But listen, Marge Schott had the connection to Pete for so long. She's been gone for well over 20 years. So nobody's hiring Pete Rose to manage their club. Nobody's hiring Pete Rose as anything more than maybe a, a consultant in, in, in a front office or somebody that speaks with the owner. Maybe uh, you know somebody to just represent the Reds on the field and in, in events as he's getting close to 80 years old. So that, that bothers me, but to me, you, you want to you wanna talk about the Hall of Fame in baseball and say that it is there to tell the history of baseball. But we're going to be very selective in what parts of history we want to tell. 
We want to ignore the fact that the steroids era existed because, oh, you know, it was so bad. How could players do that? Yet, it was encouraged by the commissioner. It was encouraged by baseball. Baseball refused to do anything about it until Congress got involved. If it wasn't for Congress getting involved, baseball would have just continued to ignore it, enable it. Maybe not promote it, but turn the other way while players are juicing up. Literally, any on-deck circle before your very eyes. And be selective over which players you could say were saturated with steroids and which weren't. The discussion about Barry Bonds, was he a Hall of Famer before he used or after he used? Roger Clemens, was he a Hall of Famer before he used or after he used? Was there enough evidence to slide David Ortiz into that same category? What about Mike Piazza? What about Jeff Bagwell? There are suspicions. Suspicions, but no proof. You can talk about back acne. Okay. I mean, I don't know how much that would really work in a court of law. So baseball put itself in a terrible position, but at the same time, baseball led by its writers, which by the way, they're selecting its Hall of Fame. They're, they're the very ones that were okay with Kennesaw Mountain Landis being in the Hall of Fame. They were okay with Cap Anson being in the Hall of Fame. They were okay even with Ty Cobb, even though there's some disputed stories that maybe he wasn't as racist as he's been perceived. It's okay for those guys to be part of telling the story of baseball history, but you don't want Barry Bonds to tell a story about baseball history. I think the Barry Bonds story is very interesting. A player that was so gifted probably could have been an all-time great. He could have been as good as Willie Mays if he never touched steroids. But the story of him being a kind of shoot aside when he knew he was probably the best player in the sport. Watching as Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa, players that in Bonds' eyes and certainly anybody with conventional wisdom's eyes, two players that didn't have anywhere near amount, the amount of talent that Barry Bonds had getting all the attention, all the accolades, all the fame as you're watching baseball as it exists. And nothing, nothing is happening towards Barry Bonds getting any respect. And he decides he's going to go do what Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa did. So that bothers you? shouldn't bother you to a point where that story is not worthy of telling when it comes to the history of baseball. Like I said, you're okay telling a racism story. You're okay telling the story that Cap Anson was the first player to get over 3,000 hits in Major League Baseball history. Despised blacks would not step on a field if there was even a black spectator in the crowd. And you're okay with the Ty Cobb story as you know reasonably portrayed as it was or not in the Cobb movie with Tommy Lee Jones. You're okay with a commissioner that literally said, over my dead body, will a black player play on the same field as a white player? And he had a lifetime contract. He was given a lifetime contract by Major League Baseball to make sure baseball stayed segregated. I'm sorry, you know, it didn't integrate until he died. That part of baseball history is all over Cooperstown. But God forbid 
steroids which saved the game of baseball after the strike of 1994. And you're looking back on it right now. Let's be serious. We're in a the we're in a potential to be in the same type of predicament when it comes to following baseball, when it comes to having interest in baseball. Baseball loses games during the season. There's going to be a lot of people pissed off. I don't know if it says many people are going to be pissed off when the rest of the 94 season and the postseason was canceled. You didn't have a World Series for the first time in 90 years. But there's a lot of people that are going to be pissed off. Is it going to take, what is it going to take to get fans to care enough to show up at the stadium? And it gets to a point where you can say, hey, it's all on the owners. The owners lock the players out. The owners make billions of dollars and they want control. They want the ability to manipulate payrolls. They don't want to pay their players. They hate their minor leaguers. All that may be true, but in the end, no baseball is an embarrassment to both parties. It's an embarrassment to everybody associated with baseball. It's an embarrassment to anybody that has anything to do with this. Players, owners. You can say the players are standing their ground. They're doing everything they can to try to stick up for themselves. Well, at some point, you got to keep it from being able to avoid games. And it's going to be interesting to see if Rob Manfred, the commissioner, comes up with a reasonable offer. I don't know if it's going to happen. I mean, you see how far apart the players and the owners are, and you already see the talk about the owners not wanting to pay the, the minor league players. And I was going to touch on this at the end because I, I did want to talk about you know the NBA and how teams are, are really not holding their players to the contracts that they sign. But when it comes to minor league baseball, you're starting to get the impression that Rob Manfred and the Major League Baseball owners, they don't want minor league baseball. They've set the conditions down to where you know, players don't even have a place to live. They don't have food. They don't have enough money to be able to do anything but play baseball. And, and I've, I've said before, and I think this is a, a valuable point because we talk about how uh, there should be a difference in playing minor league baseball and major league baseball, and you, you can't sit here and make it equal. You can't have minor league baseball players hanging around for four, five, six years, never getting to the major leagues and making $100,000 a year. You know, it just doesn't work that way. You know, there's different positions for different qualifications. And if that minor league baseball player is that talented, it shouldn't take them five or more years to get to the major leagues. And we, we, t- we spend a lot of time trying to talk about the stories. Oh, uh, Chris Coast and his, you know, 10 plus years of playing minor league baseball, making it to the majors and how great that was. That's the outlier. That's not the norm. It doesn't happen very often. It's a great story. But the fact that minor league baseball players don't get paid anything, you know, is more of a testament to somebody that's willing to sit there, play minor league baseball year in and year out, and eventually get to the majors. And it was a great story. I was happy for him. But we, we sit here and and I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, more people are associating themselves with minor league baseball. More fans are following minor league baseball. They're keeping track. They're studying their, their you know, young players that they're seeing on certain teams. Some of them have more talent than they're really stating. Some of them don't have as much talent 
as they're stating. They're overstating the talent of the young players because they see them all the time. And they grow a kinship and a fondness towards these young players that in some cases are never going to smell the major leagues. And listen, minor league baseball is good, but we get to a point where there is going to be a push to eliminate minor league baseball. You've already seen 60-plus teams eliminated. You're, you're seeing this other independent league that's going to pick up some other teams so that could experiment with some different rules. But the commissioner, which is the voice of the owners, we're already pushing back, trying to eliminate minor league baseball. And is four teams to have for each individual organization too much? Are you going to see less minor league baseball? Are you going to see more free agency? Are you going to see the draft you know, reduced to X amount of rounds? I mean, you're talking about 60, 70 rounds that used to exist years ago, down to 30, down to five you know, in the truncated 2020 season. Is minor league baseball on the verge of becoming extinct? Because it doesn't seem like Major League Baseball, from the commissioner and the owners, want it. And listen, you could be one of those fans that says, hey, the hell with the commissioner. I hate everything that he says. I despise everything that Rob Manford speaks. Rob Manford is the voice of the owners. And if you think that he is single-handedly causing all this potential harm to the game, then I don't think you're following the whole story. The whole story dates back to the owners and their control and the reserve clause that existed prior to 1975 and Arbor Peter Seitz's decision to allow baseball players free agency. Marvin Miller and what he did to push for the players' union caused a, an extreme rift between the players and the owners. There was baseball games missed in 1981 because of it. Of course, 1994 to strike. So there's a back and forth between the players and the owners over power that isn't going to change anytime soon. Regardless of when a CBA is agreed upon. Regardless of how long there's labor peace once new CBA or said CBA is agreed upon. The owners are trying to wrestle power back from the players. And they've actually over, overstated it. They've gotten to a point where they've got they've had as much control as they've had since before free agency started in baseball. And the players, listen, have had a lot of control. They've seen salaries rise as high as they ever have. They, over the last couple of years, the pay rates have not gone up. The top players, yes, they're getting paid more than they ever have before, but you're talking about less than, I don't know, 2%, 2-3% of the top players. And, you know, out of the top 5% of players in baseball, they're making what? 20, 30, 40% of how much all the players are being made are, are getting paid. Salaries are not rising. Journeyman players that are sticking in the major leagues. Um, aren't seeing themselves progress to a high enough pay rate. Minor league baseball players are getting treated terribly. So this is something that, you know, once again, is just a battle between the owners and the players. And regardless of what side you're on, and you should be on the player side, because I think all the players are trying to do is take back some of the power that the owners have wrestled for them from them over the past several years. 
The fact that teams are tanking. Teams like Cleveland and Pittsburgh are allowed to have payrolls of $20 million or $25 million. When you know how many players are making more than that. There should be a salary floor. Should there be a salary cap? Well, you, know, you look at the, uh, the penalized base system, which if teams go over whatever, $200, $220 million when it comes to spending on their own players, they're penalized. Should that be abolished? Should that be adjusted? Should it be replaced with a salary cap? Maybe the salary cap goes well above. Maybe it's set to $300 million. And maybe you're forced to spend $100 million. And then you, you, you have some sort of confines which you're allowed to spend. And with, within that, you could spend, hey, $200 million, but there is going to be a tax on it. You could spend a hard cap up to $300 million. I don't know. I don't know how exactly you're going to work it out to where the players and the owners are both happy. But I'd be concerned about the future of minor league baseball, and I don't think it's discussed enough. You can talk about the popularity of it. You can talk about if Major League Baseball misses any games this year. You're going to talk about Minor League Baseball like it's nothing. I'm going to go to Minor League Baseball games. Like I said, there's a lot more coverage on a day-to-day uh, game between Minor League Baseball teams. You know, We're getting to know the younger players before they come to the majors. We're getting to learn a lot about younger players that never make it to the major leagues. But is one of the things that the owners are after is the future of minor league baseball because I think we're looking at it in a way where it might not be around very much longer and certainly in its present form. Major League Baseball doesn't want to pay players to go to spring training on the minor league side. If I was if I was the minor league players, I wouldn't show up. They're not getting paid that much as it is. So you could say the minor league baseball players could probably just walk out and say, listen, we'll, we'll show up when you decide to pay us. You ain't even paying us that much money. But I think it's part of something deeper. It's part of something that I think is going to change over the course of time. And you could look back at this particular PBS and listen to me talk about the very elimination of minor league baseball as it exists and how possible it is. Now, I didn't want to talk, go to whole show without spending time talking about the Ben Simmons-James Harden trade. And I'm not breaking it down, saying, hey, who won the trade? I'll tell you, the, the biggest concern I'd have is whether Ben Simmons plays a game for the Brooklyn Nets this year. If he doesn't, then I question this trade from the Nets' perspective. James Harden, I think there is reason to believe that James Harden is going through some sort of deterioration as a player. Depreciation. He is not the player that he was last year when the Houston Rockets traded him to the Brooklyn Nets. He played well for them. He got hurt, was hurt in the playoffs. Certainly was one of the reasons why the Nets couldn't get past the Milwaukee Bucks. This year, he's a little disappointed about Kyrie Irving. He's a little he doesn't really like the New York media. Alright. You know, I don't like the New York media. But I acknowledge that it exists. I, I, I can't separate myself from the New York media. But, you know, James Harden was able to do that. For the second time in a calendar year, demanded that he be traded. Now, you're talking about somebody that's under contract. Somebody that's making a significant amount of buck. 
and not just the element of playing professional basketball, which is something you can talk about if you want, but I, I don't add any extra value to that. Because you know what? If it's not for James Harden, there's going to be somebody else that's going to have that ridiculous type of talent, and they're going to be compensated to play that same game. So they deserve the money that they get. They deserve every last bit of it. But I want to talk about being bound to a contract. Because if you compare it to the NFL, listen, players sign contracts and they try to pick up as much everyday dollars as they can, guaranteed money, because you never know. Player gets hurt after they sign a contract, next thing you know, they're they're cut from their team. All their guaranteed money is gone and all of a sudden they got to sign with another team to get any money. If their career is over, they never get a chance to recoup any of the money that they signed for this potential contract. NFL's got contracts that aren't guaranteed. And if you're an NFL player, you got every right to want as much money as you possibly can up front. Now, the NBA player signs a contract and regardless of whether they play, in most cases, they're getting that money. John Wall is getting paid $44 or $47 million this year by the Houston Rockets to not play. Why? Because the Rockets want to lose as many games as possible so they can get a top draft pick. John, nobody's re, trying to recoup any money from John Wall. And it's not John Wall's fault, by the way. This is one player that I side with. He should be allowed to play. The Rockets shouldn't be able to sit him because of coach's decision because you know John Wall playing in a game gives the Rockets a better chance to win or a better chance to slide down and not get as high of a draft pick as they want. But as this applies to James Harden, James Harden shouldn't have the right to dictate who he plays for. There should be something in a contract that bounds that player to the team that they sign with. You talk about you know trade clauses and no trade clauses. A lot of times to trade a player, you ask for the permission of that player. And a lot of times that's put in the contract. What about the other way? What about the player that agrees to the contract or agrees to a trade which transfers their contract How about any sort of loyalty to signing that very contract? Ben Simmons signed a a long-term contract with the Philadelphia 76ers. Decided upon himself that he didn't want to play basketball for them. You want to say it's a mental health. There's nothing physical. Um, We could go through the timeline of things that happened and uh, obviously, a very big fall since he had that, that layup opportunity against the Atlanta Hawks. Path to the basket, decided that he was going to kick it out and pass it instead of make it an easy layup. Whatever the issue is, Ben Simmons isn't playing basketball. Now, Kyrie Irving, like I said, different decision. You have a state and a city in New York that's mandating everybody that's indoor be vaccinated. Kyrie Irving made the decision to not be vaccinated. He's still getting paid his entire contract. There's nothing that stipulates, hey, you know, if there's some sort of vaccine mandate that you don't want to get a vaccine, you're not going to get paid. So my question is, is there anything in basketball that bounds a player to a team through a contract? 
because that's what a contract is supposed to be. That's why you have contracts. That's why it, it's it's decided that, hey, player A is going to sign with team A for a certain length of years and a certain dollar amount with the exchange that they're going to play basketball for that team. Not, hey, James Harden doesn't like New York, doesn't like that Kyrie Irving is not playing home games, probably isn't happy that Kevin Durant's hurt. Nets aren't the same team that he signed up to play for. I'm not big on pushing money on athletes. I'm not one of those that say, hey, you get a you get paid a ton of money to play a game. That's never going to be my take. I hear that take all the time. It's not one of my favorite things to talk about. But at the same time, you sign a contract. I sign a contract to do a show for you. You're paying me a dollar. Well, I owe you the show that I'm going to do for that dollar. I can't, I can't say, hey, I'm not going to do that show and still get that dollar. And I'm only talking about a dollar. So you're telling me that players in basketball have more of the ability to dictate who they play for year by year. And it doesn't look good for James Harden. I think James Harden, hey, maybe he goes to Philadelphia, they win a championship, they sign him to a long-term deal, he becomes a folk hero, a, a legend in the city of Philadelphia. You know, there's Dr. J, and then there's James Harden. You think of the greatest Philadelphia basketball players of all time, Wilt Chamberlain and James Harden. Maybe that happens, maybe it doesn't. But he's caused a major problem over the last calendar year by basically saying, hey, I don't care if I'm under contract. A contract that I signed for, like I said, the dollar amount is not a, a pressure point for me. It's not something that I, I want to bring up. If you're a top player in any sport, you deserve to be compensated justly. And James Harden is. There has to be something when it comes to the contract element. You sign a contract... You shouldn't demand a trade. You shouldn't refuse to play until you're traded. And the same thing I say with Ben Simmons. And like I said, we, we're forced now in a society that we live in, once mental health is mentioned, you just talk about, oh, well, you know what? If you dismiss the mental health element, you're insensitive, and you don't really care about you know how somebody's feeling. You know, listen, in the, the backdrop of what just happened with Jeremy Giambi, you know, there's there's not not a, a lot of details. You find that he he passed away through a self-inflicted gunshot wound to his chest. There's obviously mental health involved in that. There's obviously things that weren't going right in the life of Jeremy Giambi to force him to take his own life. And obviously, that's the worst situation that a person can go through. And you have to be compassionate for that. If you're not compassionate, you, listen, you're gonna you're gonna have a hard time getting anywhere. You're gonna have a hard time being taken seriously. Now, there's a theory that Ben Simmons may have thrown the mental health card into the, the mix and wasn't being truthful about it. That's something that's very hard to prove. And, and I can't go out there and say that. That's that's not my place. I'm not a doctor. I would think you'd want a, a mental health professional. 
to evaluate one way or the other. And once again, mental health is very vague. What, what bothers you or makes you sad may not make me sad. What makes you vulnerable may not make me vulnerable. I can handle being cursed at or called names. You may not be that way. So mental health is really customized to each individual person. And I feel for anybody that, that deals with you know mental issues. Shit, I got my own. But you're looking at something in basketball, and I, I just don't see why it's so different in that sport. Baseball, you don't have any players asking. You, know, you have sometimes somebody demands to be traded. Sometimes it's worked out that somebody is traded. Sometimes somebody prefers to be traded. But who in baseball is held out and not played until you can find a trade partner? Like I said, Ben Simmons playing baseball, I don't know if he gets away with this. So you look at you know the nowadays things that kind of bring attention to players' contract situations. Kyler Murray with the Arizona Cardinals making a stance, I guess. And I guess the way to do that, if you're a star player, unfollow them on social media. You know, I don't know if it's, is it a comfort the agent? Is that the player's decision to do that? All that might be true. But you look at the future of Kyler Murray and the Arizona Cardinals, I'm still under the impression, impression that the quarterback and the coach are still kind of joined at the hip. I don't think they're going anywhere. I don't think there's going to be Kyler Murray playing for somebody else. Now, Kyler Murray, a potential trade, you know, continues to move and keep Pandora's box open in a quarterback carousel as we're anticipating coming into this next season. Maybe Aaron Rodgers, Jimmy Garoppolo likely traded. Maybe Russell Wilson. Hey, maybe Kyler Murray too. That'd be crazy. But I think this is a stance that the Cardinals at some point are going to have to make. You pick up the fourth-year option or the fifth-year option. They should. You work on a contract with the quarterback. Has the quarterback done enough in Arizona to get that commitment to be that franchise type of quarterback? You've seen... For, for years, for a couple of years, the Dallas Cowboys had that issue back and forth with Dak Prescott. Give him the franchise tag, hold on to him as long as you can, buy a couple extra years to really be sure that this is the quarterback you're going to use going forward. And the Dallas Cowboys made that decision, and Dak Prescott is their quarterback for the long-term future. Good decision, bad decision. Well, overall, Dak Prescott played pretty well last year. Dallas Cowboys won the NFC East. I don't think they should have been taken very seriously in the playoffs. I think there were better teams in the NFC. Certainly the Rams, Tampa Bay, Green Bay. You know, you want to say that they were the fourth best team? Maybe they were the fifth best team or the sixth best team. Dak Prescott's a good quarterback. But the bottom line is the Cowboys waited as long as they could before they made that commitment to him. To wait another year for Kyle Murray, I don't think it's crazy. And what's Kyle Murray going to do? Is he going to go back and play baseball? No. That's not going to happen. Why? Just because he was drafted number nine overall a handful of years back by the Oakland Athletics? 
He's going to stop being a, a quality NFL quarterback. I'm not going to call him a superstar. He's a pro bowler. He's a franchise quarterback. He's certainly one of the better 32 that are out there. And you want to break it in half and say, hey, he's in a top 16. I got no issue with that. But now you look at his contract situation and who's representing him. His agent may be dictating what's going on. Kyler Murray, just like anybody else that is a talented quarterback in a National Football League, wants to get paid. And is that something that him and the Cardinals are going to work out over time? Well, you want to compare that to some of the similar systems that are in place in baseball. Arbitration process. You talk about top players getting money in arbitration that, I don't know, is not necessarily on par with what they are doing. And then you got to ask yourself when it comes to Kyler Murray, has he done enough to warrant being that number one undisputed top paid quarterback? And I don't think he's done that yet. Listen, I hope everybody enjoys the Super Bowl. You got, the, of course, the three-time champion, Los Angeles Rams, playing up against the never-before-won Cincinnati Bengals. So I think it's going to be interesting enough as you're looking through to see what ends up happening here. I think it's Joe Burrow against the better team. Listen, the Lions have a better all-around team. They have a better offense. They have a better defense. They've been to the Super Bowl before. they got a coach that's been there. The, the coach of the Bengals coached with the coach of the Rams. I, I expect the game to be high scoring. To me, I think the Rams would win. We'll see how it ends up working out. Once again, this is the Pass Ball Show brought to you by JohnPLA.com, by St. Aloysius Church in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck, located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. God bless you, and as always, I'll see you on the other side. My apartment smells of rich mahogany. Why don't you give it all or a majority of it to the team that wins the freaking World Series? I was going to listen to that, but then I just carried on living my life. I may come out as the biggest Major League Baseball manager apologist. That'll only make someone work just hard enough not to get fired. Because hitters are going out there saying, I'm either going to hit a home run or I'm going to strike out. And if I don't get a pitch that I feel like I could drive out of the park. I am supposed to be here today. Especially prospect horrors and hoarders are going to be a little pissed off at me when I say this. I'm a dude believe the dude disguises another dude. There are only two managers in baseball's Hall of Fame who have losing records. One of them is the iconic Connie Mack, who you can say, in spite of winning five World Series championships as a manager, could be in as much as a pioneer. And what side of the spectrum they're on? Were they pitching? Were they batting? If your favorite team was pitching and a ball got inside to hit a batter, there's no way it could have been on purpose. But if you were a fan of the team that was batting and a ball got inside and hit somebody or went behind somebody's head, absolutely 100% unequivocally, that pitcher was throwing at They put their tail between their legs and decided they're going to do exactly what they're told. Well, right, better give him a contract extension. You damn well right, better make him the manager over the next series of years. 35 years ago, I could have loaned your parents the money for an abortion.